0: Oh, and I think a lot of people would say, well, you're a pastor, that's what well, you have to say that and you're trying to get people to come to your church. Um, I've, I've heard some of those comebacks, but now I believe that before I was a pastor, you know, like um, my, my simple argument is we have to see the church through the lens of the New Testament and not through the lens of experience.
1: Hey, all things listeners. On today's episode, we are talking about the new Love Your Church series produced by The Good Book Company and Acts 29. These are books and resources to help you better love your church. Before we dive in, I want to invite you to go to loveyourchurchseries.com to check out the free small group kits that are available to you there. Again, they are free and they will help you love your church. All right, now let's dive in. Welcome to All Things. Um, today on this episode, I am gathered by my brothers, my co-workers in the Gospel, Tony Marita and Barnabas Piper. So the three of us have joined together to publish a few new books just in the past week or so. They are part of the Love Your Church series. And I'm gonna to let Tony give you the backstory about the Love Your Church series here in a minute, but I just wanted to share with you Tony wrote the book Gather, and then Barnabas wrote the book Belong, and I myself wrote the book Welcome. Now, these are the first three in a series of more books that will be released over the next year or two, and they are meant to be a resource for churches, for attendees, members, leaders to read together. And the hope is that these small books will be really practical and lead to really fruitful discussions for churches. So welcome, uh, Tony and Barnabas. Thank you guys both so much for being here.
0: Yeah, glad to 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 be with you. Thank
1: you. It's fun for the three of us to gather together. So um, I know both of you are pastors, and I want to just start out by letting you guys introduce yourselves to everybody who's listening. You weren't always pastors. You weren't always necessarily leading a church. Um, Can we start off? Maybe Tony, you go first and Barnabas, you go second. Tell us your background in the church and how you came to be where you are today, both pastoring and authoring for the church
0: um yeah so i was uh, born in michigan uh in detroit uh but grew up in kentucky Um, uh, had a great love for sports uh, as a kid ended up going to college on a baseball scholarship uh was far from the lord and uh, uh the lord saved me through uh, the witness of some teammates and um, i began to really just engage with the bible a lot a lot of bible studies started being it was getting asked to speak at different things um And uh, the Lord called me to the ministry of the word Um, as a junior in college, ended up finishing my degree. And then, you know, went to seminary and uh, have pastored a couple of churches before planting uh, this church, Mago Day, which we planted 11 years ago. Uh, Along the way, ran into my wife. Um, We met at youth camp. Uh, She was not a camper, by the way. She was a staff (laughs) member with me. Um, she's actually older than me, but, uh, yeah, we, we met at at youth camp and have really only ever known each other doing ministry. So, uh, we are going on, uh, 20 years of marriage, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I still can't believe I'm in ministry. Uh, nobody that I meet on the street imagines I'm a pastor. I've heard everything. You own a tattoo parlor. I bet you, own, you have a Harley shop or, you know, you look like Daughtry. I've had all kinds <laughs> of things. So I always say, man, I'm more surprised than you are than I'm a pastor. But the Lord has been uh, really gracious to uh, put me where he's put me.
1: That is awesome. What a great story of God's faithfulness and just redeeming you in the midst of baseball. I love that. Yeah. How about you, Barnabas?
2: Well, I never get compared to Daughtry or, and nobody thinks I own a tattoo parlor. So I guess, you know, Tony wins, but uh, no, my background in the church goes back to, you know, pre preconception, I think, because my dad was a pastor starting three years before I was born and then uh, retired from full-time pastoral ministry on my 30th birthday. So I grew up in the church, in the church kind of. Every, every time the doors were open kind of thing. And for the most part, I loved it. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had a love-hate relationship with the church over the years, but more love than hate. And uh, and a lot of good came out of growing up in the church. And my parents were faithful to raise me to know the Lord and um, fed me scripture and have, well, probably to this day, never ceased to pray over me. And, uh, but I would also say I'm I'm more surprised than anybody that I ended up in, vocational ministry due to, you know, due to my own struggles and faith in my twenties that the Lord used to, to bring me to a a real affection for Christ. And then just various struggles along the way. So there's that there's, you know, familial struggles. There's just a pastor's kids disinclination to follow in his father's footsteps. And then uh, somehow a few years ago, the Lord stirred my heart and pulled me out of the Christian publishing industry. And, um, called me to serve at Emanuel Nashville, where I am now. Uh, I'd been a member at Emanuel for a couple of years prior, and it had been just deeply instrumental in my life in uh, in, in healing my soul and deepening my trust for the church and what God can do through the church and helped me see that my cynicism was, uh, wasn't was entirely accurate. And so there's was, there was so much to be grateful for. And I've been on staff here now for about three and a half years and, uh, and absolutely love it.
1: Hmm. That is awesome as well, Barnabas. Thanks for telling us your story. Yep. Um, Tony, I could relate to your salvation story in that um, I too was saved out of a really worldly situation. And um, when we went to my 10 year high school reunion and people found out I was a missionary, they were like, no way, not you. <laughs> so, uh, and I am surprised, like both of you, I'm surprised, but Barnabas, I hope that my kids' stories reflects yours. Um, I really hope that they see the goodness and the beauty of the church in spite of my mistakes and sins and my husband's and the the downfalls of the church. So um, they've read, you know, they read what you write because they look up to you. And
2: oh, that's um, encouraging.
1: Yeah. I just appreciate your ministry to pastors, kids and your authenticity and example. So know that my family and so many others are paying attention and just grateful for both of your testimonies.
0: Thank you. Amen. Yeah. Amen.
1: Well, let's turn to this series. So, Tony, you wrote Love Your Church right after the pandemic. It came out in 2021. So as people were starting to go back to church, you published the original Love Your Church book. And then the first one that you wrote for this series is called Gather. So tell us a little bit about the Love Your Church series, why you wrote it, what it has to do with the pandemic. And then what I want to know is, do you think people are indeed beginning to gather again?
0: Yeah, so we originally didn't write it with the pandemic in mind because we started it out in 2019. Um, so we didn't know it was coming. So it just happened to be a not only a timeless book, hopefully, but a timely book, um, given the condition of the church once it actually dropped, because you guys know it takes a year or so to see a book go from conception to uh, it print. Um So that was good for the book in many ways, and it it amplified a lot of what we were saying. We did go back in and add some stuff related to COVID and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, we started out just wanting to write a book on gospel community mission uh, around those three values. Um, But I was having a hard time really trying to discern what I'm arguing for, what I'm trying to, uh, you know, put forward. Um, and those those three things run together so much. It was just hard. And, and anyway, I was struggling with what, uh, the book. And we got down to this point of saying, well, what do you really want to write? And what I really wanted to write was a book for our church membership class, um, which is just, you know, lay, lay members, lay Christians, uh, what I would hope to see them do uh, as a result of just belonging to a church and being a faithful member in it. And so, um, I was using various books on church membership in those classes, but there were a few gaps that I saw and some things that I wanted to say. And I wanted to write a book that was less about church polity and more about kind of a culture of the church. And, um, so we, we basically got down to these eight, um, practices, these eight great things about being a church member and wanted to, uh, to write a book with that in mind. And, and so, yeah, the, and the book, uh, you know, did well enough that they wanted to do a, a series and kind of spin off of those eight things uh, to to really drill down deeply into them. Um, but yeah, the thesis of Love Your Church is stated right in the very beginning that my simple goal is that people would love Jesus and they would love his church and that they would see those those two go together, like to, to love Jesus is to love what he loves uh, and he loves the church. And so we're trying just to articulate why you should love the church and how you can love the church. Some people want to, they, they just need some help on, on how to. Uh, and so we're trying to be both biblical and, and practical. On to the second question of, of gathering. I think that answer is probably different in different parts of the world. Um, you know, in, in Florida, COVID never really happened. And so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's different in Michigan or wherever you might be. I'm joking to all my Florida friends, we love you. Um, but but some people were impacted in massive ways. Some were not impacted that much. It just really depends on, you know, your context. Uh, we were impacted. I mean, we have a very politically diverse city uh, in Raleigh. We're kind of a, an anomaly to the rest of the state. Uh, and so it was hard navigating all of that stuff. And then we, we've we had people upset, people that's left, you know. We met outside on a baseball field for a long time uh, during the, the lockdown, during COVID. And we're almost back at numbers uh, pre-COVID, which which we're really happy about. Um, and but we're I met a couple in the first time guest room Sunday. They haven't been in the church since COVID. That was their first time, so it's still uh, still fresh for for some people. But uh, I I guess people are regathering around the country. I I don't. I'm going to talk to a good number of pastors, but I think that story is probably going to be different for everybody. I find that we lost a lot of people that were sort of fringe attenders, casual attenders. Um, it's been hard to re engage that group. But um, in terms of our own church, we are seeing people, uh, you know, value once again the importance of weekly gathering as we should.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, COVID does still feel very fresh in a lot of ways, especially, I think, for those of us who were leading churches at that time. Um yeah it, it feels like it's not too too distant in the past. Um Tony, let me drill down on something that you said really quick. You said to love Jesus is to love your church. Now that's a pretty countercultural statement even I think amongst believers mm-hmm. in 2023. Um sure. can you unpack that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I th- I think so and I think a lot of people would say well you're a pastor, that's what well, you have to say that and you're trying to get people to come to your church. Um I've I've heard some of those Comebacks, but no, I believe that before I was a pastor. You know, like um, my my simple argument is we have to see the church through the lens of the New Testament and not through the lens of experience. Uh, it, it's not as though experience doesn't matter; it does. But when you see how the the church is talked about in the New Testament, you just cannot walk away saying, you know, it's really if you like it or if you're not busy on the weekend or. You can't take some approach like that. This this is the bride. This is what Jesus said he was building. This is the body of Christ. Uh, the the images and the emphasis on the church can't be missed in the New Testament. Letters are written to churches uh, or those leading churches. Like the whole the whole New Testament, that we're talking about uh, the church. With the seven churches, get letters in the Book of Revelation. Jesus says he knows what's going on. He's walking among the lampstands, and so I get that people are hurt by experience. I hate that. You know, we want to walk with people who've been wounded in churches and that should never happen. It does happen. Um, And I think some churches stink and they probably shouldn't exist. Um, But I I don't think you you should ever paint with such a broad brush that you say, well, it's okay to like Jesus or or be into Jesus. But the church is kind of take it or leave it. Uh, I just don't see that as being uh, optional. Like the church is um, definitely imperfect, but it's indispensable uh, when it comes to discipleship.
1: Yeah, that's really good. And Barnabas, you could probably piggyback a little bit on that. I mean, you wrote a book called Belong. And um, I'm not totally sure of your context there in Nashville, but here in Colorado, the idea of belonging to something is really foreign. Um, We laugh because people don't even RSVP to like fun events until about 24 hours before. There's like this real commitment (laughs) aversion here in Colorado. And that's to like secular fun nights out on the town, right? So how much more is the aversion to belonging to a church? You know, committing yourself to a group of people. Um, tell us about why you wrote "belong," and maybe you can help us unpack why that's so foreign to us in this day and age.
2: Yeah, I I loved what Tony said about viewing the church through through the eyes of the New Testament. I mean, I think that that's the basis for belonging um, in terms of in terms of how we understand it. But I, the thing that that made me passionate about writing this was some of the things that tony touched on the um the lackadaisical nature that people have towards church which it's easy as a pastor to kind of be mad at people you know get your stuff together make a commitment you know come on now be a grown up that kind of thing and which which never motivates people to show up and mostly makes them dislike you and want you to stop talking um and and then, but the, the the other thing that Tony mentioned is the people who have been either hurt in a church or are just very aware of the damage that some churches have done, church leaders have done, and so there's a, a skepticism and a, a mistrust of the church. And so I I wanted to write a book that painted a picture of the church that made people go, oh, that's why it's worth it to belong. Um, through the eyes of the New Testament, because what, what the Bible says about the church is so beautiful and so welcoming and so healing and so, so many things that, that to not belong ought to feel like we're out of place, except we've got it backwards. Um, and I think, yeah, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a commitment phobia amongst a lot of people. Nashville, a lot of young professionals, and it's a really transient town. You know, people, There's a lot of colleges here, so we get a lot of people who are coming out of college And then moving on to whatever's next in life. And then we get a lot of people moving here for healthcare industry and entertainment industry and whatever else. And so people are just kind of constantly ladder climbing, if you will. So looking for whatever's next. And so, yeah, to to put down roots at a church is a fairly foreign thing for a lot of people. Um, But... The thing that I see that makes people stick at Emmanuel or at any other really you know vibrant healthy church is it, it starts with something intangible. I think it's that sense of belonging. Not you know so it's it's not commitment first. There are a few people who have that. Most people come in and they go, "There's something about this place." You know, they probably say it at your church. "There's something about this place. I want to be a part of this." Well, that's the same sense we get when we're with a group of friends or when. You know, we're we're on a team or anything where it, where it clicks, and you're like, I belong here. This is my place. Except outside of the church, all of that stuff is passing. You belong until you don't. Either you you outgrow it, or it changes, or people move away, or there's something that fractures it, or whatever. Except in the church, that that there's something here is is the aroma of Christ. It's Christ being lived out in the culture of the church. Tony used that word culture in 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 his aim at writing. The, love your church it's that it is it's the the embodiment of the spirit of christ in our interactions everything from conversations to the preaching of the word to singing to how kids are treated to how the least among us are treated all of that so that when somebody comes in they, they probably can't label it it doesn't necessarily fit on their checklist but they go there there is something happening here that i i want to be part of and the commitment hopefully follows because they realize it's worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I think, you know, I read, um, belong and it's you, it's, you write really personally, you clearly write with a personal affection for the body of believers that the Lord has called you to. And it did stir in me, just more greater affection for my church. And so I do pray that the Lord uses it to draw people who might be on the fringes back into belonging.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, but
1: you also said something really interesting there. You spoke to the transient nature of the Nashville community. So people are coming and going, moving in and out, climbing ladders, but then the permanence and the eternality of the local church. Um, I love that juxtaposition because I think, you know, all over the United States and the world, really, we are a transient people. We pick up and move for Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And so, um, you know, just the idea that we can plug in then to the eternal, beautiful expression, you know, Christ's bride um, when we move to a new city is really great. Mm -hmm. What, what I wonder if Barnabas could you, um, what do you think is the tipping point? You know, somebody visits a church on a Sunday morning, like, oh, you know, I should go to church, I used to go to church, or I'm in crisis, let me try church. What is the tipping point be so, between like church shopping and mm-hmm. church belonging? And how do we, maybe as church members, help yeah. make that tipping point happen for more people more often?
2: That's a really good question. I, it, it probably really depends on where they're coming from. I mean, it, it we, we have people who come into our church who are, you know, they're, they've just moved to Nashville. They looked on Acts 29's website and they found our church because it's an Acts 29 church or the pastor in there the, where they're coming from recommended them. A tipping point for them is going to be different than somebody who's they haven't been to church in years. You know, they grew up. It's the South. Everybody grew up in church here, you know, and uh, and they're just sort of jaded towards it. And they need to have trust rebuilt. So some people come in ready to trust and some people come in wounded or jaded or angry or bored or any number of other things. And so the tipping is I think it's the same process for both. It's just that for some people, it takes about two Sundays and for some people, it takes about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it is the the way you pose the question, what can members do is really good because most of this doesn't rest on the church leaders, we, we set a tone, we set a culture, we call people to things, we try to preach the word and disciple. But what happens in the life of the body is what makes people feel welcome and, and draw them into belonging. And it is it is them being received with a come as you are mentality, but not that shrug and like, you're fine just the way you are, because that's not biblical, but rather come as you are and then let's, let's walk towards Jesus together. And, and, and along the way, friendship happens. So, and then when you're friends with somebody, you stick. And so it's wh- whether you're coming out of the worst time in your life, which is how I walked into the doors of Emmanuel, or you're, you're great. You just got a new job. You just moved to an exciting new town. You're, you're, you know, you're flying high and you walk in. Come as you are. We both need the same thing. We both, need, we both need to walk with Jesus. We both need the healing of Christ and the redemption of Christ. We need to have a context of honesty and safety, and not the not the cultural sort of safe space thing, but the safety mm-hmm. of of you you can say anything here, and we will take it to Christ together, and it won't be gossiped about, and you won't be judged. In that context, it belonging happens for for people coming from any any which direction. For some people, they need 150 doses of that before they feel like they belong. And for some people they see it right out of the gates and they're like, yeah, this is the place for me. And they, they dive into the deep end of the pool. Um, but it, but it is that context of come as you are, and then let's go to Christ together. And for the Mm -hmm. members to do that is Mm -hmm. profoundly significant. That's what I experienced when I came and it. And it, you know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I, I both trust pastors and don't trust pastors simultaneously. Like I, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I look at them and I go, yeah, I, I know exactly. You are doing precisely what you're supposed to do. And you're saying trustworthy things. And also you don't make that much of a difference to me. This is the jaded side of me. But when some random guy comes up to me in the lobby and says, hey, our kids met in Sunday school, we'd love to have you over for lunch sometime. Also, how can I pray for you? That that needle tips into, oh, there's Christ is doing a different kind of thing here.
1: Yeah. I love how you said, you know, it's a safe space, but not in the worldly sense of the word, but like a genuine let's lock arms together. Mm -hmm. Let's walk through the valley together. Let's enjoy the mountaintop together. And I find that that's something that, you know, attendees, they have to taste and see it. You know, you can't sort of convince somebody into it or advertise somebody into it. They have to actually experience it. Mm -hmm. Um, And in in my book, in the series, In Welcome, I really tried to speak to those church attendees and say, hey, this is on you, not the church leaders, as you said. How can you welcome somebody in, not just in the front door, but welcome them into lunch after church, gospel community during the week, your life, you know, how can you welcome them into just everyday life? For your family as well as for the church in general um, tony in, in in terms of gather we are seeing uh, more than ever more competition than ever on sunday mornings for people to actually gather i mean people in my community i'm guessing yours is the same um, they would rather go to their kids sporting event or the travel team go somewhere with the team or just go out to brunch or sleep in feeling burnt out can't make it to church um, here in colorado we kind of joke the church planters in my community kind of joke that Um, if somebody goes to church twice a month, that's a faithful attendee, which grieves me because I wish it was every Sunday, but how do we encourage people to gather? What can you say to those people who, where church is kind of eh, 50-50 every Sunday morning?
0: Great question. I think we have to teach ecclesiology to our people. Um, I think we're guilty over the last, I don't know how many years of kind of, um, having this, Jesus just wants a relationship with you, um, Christianity, which is true, but it's it's devoid of any emphasis on community and church life. Um, and so you couple that with kind of a hyper individualism that the culture has with kind of a Christianity that's, uh, again, church light, even if it's Jesus strong um, and we're, we're facing these battles. And so I think ecclesiology is probably the most neglected aspect of discipleship. Um, I mean, we write a lot of books on prayer. You know, we talk about having quiet times. There's a lot of emphasis on piety, a lot of emphasis on purity, right? And um, kind of devotional life. Again, me and G, all of which is super important and we need to be talking about that. But that life on life and the community commitment, the commitment to a uh, a group of people in covenant relationship. um, I mean, I didn't hear of this emphasis when I became a new Christian. I just was not discipled well when it when it comes to the church. So that's one thing like we just we we can't be mad at people if they haven't heard these things. Right. We need to carefully, lovingly, winsomely, you know, talk about the church um, in a way that they see that it is more important than uh, Little League, even though Little League is important. And I would love to go watch a Little League game today. All of my sports teams in every sport is terrible right now. Um, So I I, I sympathize with that. but I, there's we just uh, I think there's some uh, also uh, uh, Christian on Christian discipleship, not just from the stage, not just pastors teaching. But, you know, that's the that's the purpose of our, you know, our small groups of checking in on each other, making sure people aren't having extended absences from the fellowship, from the gathering. Um, and, um, you know, we don't want to be overly rigid about this. It's fine to take a vacation. It's you're going to miss some Sundays. We get that. But um, just prioritizing it. We, we need to have it, I think, from kind of leadership down to working itself peer to peer Christian to Christian, um, teaching on it in membership class there, there's we have to drip it in all of those various ways I think
1: yeah, I think it's similar to what we just talked about with Barnabas in terms of people have to taste and see that it's good you know you, if you if you consistently attend church sun every Sunday, if you're part of a small group, if you're if you belong to those relationships as Barnabas put it. Um, then you do get this sense that something's missing if you cannot go on a Sunday morning. Um, And I love that for people when they finally get to that point where they realize, no, for me, Sunday morning is a family reunion of sorts where I get to turn my eyes from myself and worship the Lord. And you brought that out, Tony, and in your book so well, just the different things that we do every Sunday morning and how that points us to Jesus and takes our eyes off our circumstances and our, our eyes off of ourselves. And so I have found, you know, I've been a believer now for over 20 years, but I have found, especially as an adult and somebody who's a professional Christian, you know, in Christian ministry, that, the, that Sunday mornings have been such a good opportunity for me to lift my eyes off myself and fix them on the Lord yeah um, yeah
0: and i've i've been corrected before as a pastor you know like mm-hmm. uh, i write about in gathering my friend uh stefan who's from germany he came in town and um it was a really quick trip because he had a bunch of things to do and i was like apologizing as a like, man i wish i could have showed you this or taken you to this restaurant or whatever and we we just spent all day at church and and uh because at the time we had th- like three services and He says, Tony, there's nothing greater that you could have shown me. I I got to worship with the saints at Imago Day. Like, uh, what what are we going to do? Go ride goat carts? Like, what's better than, you know, meeting together with the saints? And so I was like, that's a strong point, pal. Um, Yeah, yeah, we all need those corrections.
1: That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, let me ask you guys this. You know, if we are to zoom out from your lives, you guys are clearly both all in on the church. You're both pastors. You both write for the church. Um, your lives are really immersed in the church now so is mine so sometimes I'm like oh that's normal like that's what we do but then I spend some time with my secular friends or secular family and I'm like no nope, actually we're super weird <laughs> Barnabas let's start with you why be all in on church with speaking writing you mean twenty four seven why be all in
2: yeah that's uh it that's a question I asked myself a lot before getting into it actually because it 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 felt very much like a it didn't sneak up on me. I was uh I was kind of church adjacent for a long time. So I was I've been a member of a church basically my entire adult life. But but for about 14 years I worked in Christian publishing, which is it's a great way to sort of sort of be part of the church, but not really because I get to do a lot of things on behalf of it but not have to deal with all the mess of it. Um and so when I I mean there was kind of an arm wrestling match with God when it when I started to sense might be time to move out of this thing that I've been in for a good while and and move towards pastoral ministry. And and the answer was in all the things that God was doing through the local church. I mean, I, I was I was a member of Emmanuel at the time, so I just got to see, oh, this is worth being all in on, because this is where everything I want to see happen in the world is happening. No, I don't mean that Emmanuel will change the world, but local churches are how the world is changed. Everything from from the the individual souls to, you know, the desires for social justice and and everything in between. All of that. All of that goes through the local church because it's how God designed his kingdom to be set up. So what better thing is there to to give everything to Um, writing time? you know, vocation, whatever. And that for those who are listening who are not called to vocational ministry, this isn't to say the only way to do this is to to, to be on staff at a church because we've just talked about the importance of membership. The local church is, is the people who are all out in the world serving Christ in a billion vocations. But, but it was, yeah, it was that realization that everything I want to see happen in the world for the sake of Christ starts in the local church. It goes from there, but it starts here. So yeah, if I'm called to the epicenter and I can belong somewhere, there's not a better place to be.
1: Yeah, I love that answer. What would you add, Tony?
0: Yeah, I think the local church is where the action is. Um, It's it's often a, a slog, it's often painful, I have a lot of highs and a lot of lows. <laughs> my wife and I have a rule, like we both can't be discouraged at the same time. Uh, so <laughs> at, at least one of us need to be encouraged. <laughs> um, but that's that's where I want to invest my life. Um, you know, Jesus uh, walks among the lampstands. Like he, he, he loves his church and I want to love it as well. And um, I know there are problems, there are flaws. Heck, I'm a flawed pastor. So I get it, but... Um, yeah, I've had opportunities to to also just sort of be in positions where kind of around the church, uh, and and do some good stuff for the church. But again, I, I'm like Barnabas; I want to be in the in the center of it.
1: Yeah. I love that. And you both, the affection you both have for the church is coming through clearly. And I really do appreciate that and feel encouraged by this conversation. I have one last question for both of you as pastors. Um, But before I get to that question, I just want to make sure that our listeners know that the Good Book Company, who published this series for us, not only published these books, but has made resources available to people who use them. So small groups can go onto the Good Book Company website, which I will link in the show notes. And there are free videos and resources available. So if you like what you're hearing, gather your small group, gather your membership class, gather your deacons, whatever group that you can think of, or just a handful of friends and neighbors, um, and get these books and then go online and watch the videos and your group can discuss how you can personally and as a group love your church better. Clearly that's the heart of all three of us in this conversation is we love the Lord and we love the church and we really want to encourage the broader church to love your local church as well. So check that out in the show notes. Okay, last fun question, hopefully. You're both pastors. I'm married to a pastor. I know what Sunday afternoon and Monday morning is like. And for those who might not know, it's pure exhaustion, uh, sometimes discouragement and defeat, sometimes excitement, but more often than not, it's just a a tired time. So I want to hear what you both do to rest and refresh and reset after a Sunday morning. You go first, Barnabas.
2: (sighs) Yeah, it's well, and there's and there's a next level of exhaustion, which Tony will be more familiar with because he's the the primary preaching pastor. the The exhaustion after preaching is its own special kind of thing uh, when you ring yourself out. Growing up, I saw my dad. uh, You know, we'd come home from church, we'd have a big dinner. You'd usually have people over, and about an hour into dinner, he would just sort of fade out of the conversation, and just sort of, you know, he's sitting at the table, but he's clearly not present. And that's, that was kind of my mom's clue to sort of politely move people towards the door. And then he would go sleep for an hour and a half. And I was always just like, what, what's the big deal? I, I was fine. Why isn't he fine? Uh, and I completely understand now. Um, so Sunday naps are regular and it's, I mean, it—it it is a gift from the Holy spirit. I go to sleep as a semi saved person who just completely empty. And I wake up feeling like, okay, maybe there's hope in this world. Um, <laughs> And then I try really hard not to put anything on my calendar on Monday mornings. So Mondays are, you know, get kids off to school and then time in the word and coffee and just slow, which is not a thing that happens much in my week because because I don't have a lot to give at that point. But between Sunday afternoon naps and maybe some time with friends in there that's just social, no obligations and uh, and then a slow Monday, I'm usually I'm usually feeling refreshed in spirit and, and, you know, somewhat physically rested by like Monday,
0: midday.
1: Love it.
0: Yeah. What Barnabas just described about his dad is precisely what I do every single Sunday, (laughs) every single Sunday. And my kids, (laughs) my kids reaction is almost the same as he said as well. Um, uh, Monday I'm a little different than a lot of guys. Uh, I'm not exhausted. Usually, um, I am a little fatigued, but, uh, that's my primary sermon prep day, so I do sermon prep <laughs> early in the week rather than later. That didn't work for some guys, but it's, it's the way I like to do it. Uh, and I'm usually finished by Tuesday, and then that frees up the rest of my week to do some other things. Um, and kind of tighten up my 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 sermon, you know, an hour or so each each morning. After that, but yeah, I get the exhaustion afterwards. I, I've compared pastors to uh, the seals um, in San Francisco. If you've ever been out there in the city, <laughs> and you you see them just making noises and just just you know rolling around. I'm like, that's that's a pastor after he's preached. <laughs> yeah, equally as articulate. Taking-
1: I thought you were going to compare pastors to the Navy SEALs. You know, like yes, the Navy SEALs.
2: <laughs> no, that's Sunday morning. Sunday afternoon is the San Francisco SEALs.
1: I think that I think that's accurate.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's great. It.
1: Well, thank you both, Tony Morita, Barnabas Piper. Thank you for joining me as we have talked about the Love Your Church series. I'm grateful for your ministry. Thanks for writing your books. We so hope that we will get these books into the hands of people all across the us and europe and that they will serve the church and help the um, help others love their church as well so thank you both brothers Mm -hmm. thank Thank you. you thanks for listening to all things with jen oshman where we look at events and trends through a christian lens all things were created through jesus and for jesus so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now